Hello and welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the 2019 ABA annual meeting from San Francisco, the city where the Velvet Fog got the gate. Of course, that's a little homage to Mel Torme, but uh, someone who needs no introduction in these parts is present like Judy Perry Martinez. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Lawrence. Welcome to San Francisco. Yeah, you know, I was uh, just telling Bob Carlson, of course, the ABA president, about uh, San Francisco, one of my favorite stops, uh, personal and whenever we get a conference, I love dropping in. So scenic, beautiful, just a lot of fun. So thank you for having the annual meeting here this year. So I want to open up here. So my first question, I think this is really interesting because ABA is built on volunteers. And so I asked President Carlson a very similar question. And so in addition to where do you work, what do you do for your regular work life? uh, Can you tell us about your ABA resume? Sure. So I'm an attorney at Simone Perrigine Smith and Redfern in New Orleans, um, and I actually started my career there many, many years ago and did a stint in-house at Northrop Grumman Corporation for 12 years, uh, but landed back at Simone for the very reason that they are a firm that supports bar work and community service of attorneys and pro bono. And that's important because you've been volunteering for a long time now to get to where you are as a president-elect about to become president. You know, it's interesting because when I started there, I think I went in with a notion that I, in order to be fulfilled, um, not only through my regular work, but also in the capacity of giving back. And that's what something I wanted to do, uh, that I wanted to make that a part of my essential sense of lawyering from the very get go. And as a consequence, I started doing work very early on in the ABA Young Lawyers Division in my first year of practice. Well, let's share with the listeners some of the volunteer. You've been all over the map in terms of different uh, aspects of the American Bar Association you volunteered for, a lot of it around innovation and technology, and you've been a, a leader uh, steadfast for uh, a pretty good period of time now. So why don't we share your resume with, with the listeners? You know, the ABA has given me some remarkable opportunities to work with people whom I would never have been introduced to um, and to do work that we had a common bond on accomplishing. So through the Young Lawyers Division, it was significantly focused on public service and pro bono work. And I went on to chair that division uh, many years ago uh, and then went into the ABA House of Delegates, where I've been for almost 30 years. And through that work is where we do our policy work of the ABA, adopting policies of critical importance to lawyers in practice as well as uh, to the public. Um, But through that work, I got to know so much more about all the work that the ABA does across the country and beyond. And so um, my resume includes things like serving on the ABA Commission on Women in the Profession, um, serving as the ABA rep to the United Nations, the lead rep to the United Nations, serving as chair of the ABA Commission on what's now called ABA Commission on Sexual and Domestic Violence, and also serving as chair of the ABA Standing Committee on the Federal Judiciary, having served in that committee several times before. All right, so I just rough estimate, I don't want to put you on the spot. How many years do you think you volunteered for this organization? So I've been in practice for 37 years, and I've been involved in the American Bar Association for 36 of those years without interruption. And that's what it takes to build the American Bar Association. So, all right, well, let's transition to, so we last caught up with you to interview at uh, ABA Midyear in Las Vegas. And so we touched upon uh, several topics. We touched upon wellness. We touched upon immigration. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, obviously, it's uh, in the news again, gun violence. Talked about gun violence. And we talked about legal education and technology, but also rule of law. And I know that's a lot. So which one do you want to chip off first? Let's start off with um, the topic of innovation and legal education. All right. I know that's an issue near and dear to your heart. So uh, where do you want to begin there? Well, you know, the ABA uh, put together a tremendous group of individuals who 
formed the Commission on the Future of Legal Services, and they came out with a report. I was the chair of that group, and we came out with a report in August of 2016, really a roadmap for what could be done in terms of making sure that lawyers were competent in technology, but also that we were doing what we needed to do as an organization and as individual lawyers and part in partnership with the courts and with bar associations to make sure that we were using innovation and technology and particularly innovation and thought uh, to close the justice gap. And so that work has continued and we now have an ABA Center for Innovation, um, which continues uh, to do good in terms of driving innovation and new thoughts about how we close the justice gap. Um, we bring in uh, academics, we bring in leaders within the bar associations, we bring in technologists, and also innovators. We have design thinkers on that council. And we have others who are truly committed across disciplines uh, to make sure that we are thinking smartly about not only what the profession, but also what we can do as a society to make sure that people who have legal needs, who really want to accomplish what they need to accomplish in order to keep shelter for their family, be able to get the help they need the, for their children and otherwise, have access to legal services. And where is your presidency, uh, and it's going to begin very shortly, uh, where is it going to take innovation and technology? So I think, think what we're really going to be looking at is um, active listening about what's happening since the commission issued its report in August of 2016, because what we're seeing is some very smart conversations going on and needed conversations about what can be different or what should remain. And so we have quite a few states, state bar associations and state Supreme Courts who have assembled um, talent within their own states to look at regulatory reforms, to look at um, possible innovations in their court systems, to look at how bar associations can play a greater role in making sure that it's their members are technologically savvy. And so we're watching those conversations. Um, we're making sure that we are there as a resource as needed for them. But this really is about those laboratories at the state level where we know that one idea captured by a commission that is looking at these issues one idea from one attorney can make a difference for many, many years to come. So I want to get into the heavier topics before we end on a, on a happy note. So obviously, gun violence has been in the news uh, this week. And so uh, typical to uh, sort of our reaction, you know, people ask what went wrong. And, and there's uh, obviously different sides of the coin when it comes to uh, gun violence and gun control. And so uh, in your presidency, where, where do you envision the role of the American Bar Association as it pertains to gun violence? What, what should lawyers be doing? Well, the ABA has been very active in the areas of gun violence, gun safety, um, and most importantly with our partnership and workings that we're doing with the medical community. Um, but we have a deep and rich history, really dating back to the late 1960s um, after the Kennedy assassination of our House of Delegates, considering and passing and adopting policies on gun safety um, that we think are critical and could be pivotal to making a difference in this country. Um, the tragedies of the recent mass shootings are certainly right front and center for us to think about how we as lawyers can, can contribute in a way that will make a difference. Um, but we also have significant gun violence issues, as you know, and challenges in cities and in towns across this country. Um, and those range from handguns to automatic weapons. So what we're doing is really looking at the over almost two dozen policies that we have over the many years um, that address gun violence to make sure that we are utilizing that policy in a way that we can speak out and speak out with authority on issues where we can make a difference. 
So immigration, uh, I've recently read and heard that uh, you know worldwide, not just the United States, there is an upswell of immigration from country to country, and it's you know looks a lot like sort of pre World War II levels of of immigration. People are just mass migrating out of areas that they don't perceive their opportunities to be the highest uh, for whatever, whether it's persecution or what have you, they want to get to some other place. And so obviously the United States, this is something that's been a lot on our southern border, but it's not just there. And I know the American Bar Association is very concerned about uh, the United States' ability to absorb all of the immigration uh, requests and the asylum seekers that are coming in and the process thereof. So uh, where where is the American Bar Association uh, going to go from there? How is it going to facilitate and uh, what does it want to do? Well, it's a multifaceted problem and it requires multifaceted solutions. Um, we are focused not only on the critical work that we know that lawyers are doing across the country, and to your good point, Lawrence, at the border, but also in their own towns to help people who need pro bono assistance with regard to their asylum claims and otherwise. Um, but we are also looking at the policy level to make sure um, that the changes that we think are necessary that would help the immigration crisis in our country are addressed and put down as solutions. Uh, so for instance, an independent immigration court would be something that we've long really urged and um, advocated for. Um, but also we are doing some things in places where there is a concentrated need, like at this border in Texas and in Southern California, where we have lawyers working six days a week to make sure that we're serving people who are in need, who are in detention facilities. Um, we have hotlines installed in 200 detention facilities across this country where people can get legal information. And those hotlines handle about three to 400 calls every month. Wow. Um, and we also have attorneys who are going down on a regular basis. Um, I'll be down there toward the end of August for a week. Um, Trish Rifo, the person who will come behind me as president of the association will be joining me this year just like Bob and I went down there last year and spent a week doing pro bono asylum interviews and learning more about what was happening on the ground. And what I can tell you is that the legal needs are real, they cannot be overstated, and that we have to do more. And we're calling upon lawyers across the country but also policymakers to make sure that we are focused and really looking at these issues strategically. All right, last heavy topic before we uh, get a little lighter here. So wellness, um, obviously legal profession has uh, front and center at uh, most, if not all of the conferences that we've been attending this year and last year. You know, wellness has been part of the programming and people want to talk about why attorneys are so unhappy or, or why they've become addicted of uh, substance abuse and things like that. And the, and the attorney you know, legal profession seems to have this disproportionately compared to other professions. And so people are now asking why and they're trying to come up with solutions. And obviously I read a lot from uh, Brian Cuban. And so we, we see his work and follow and interview him. And so I know this is front and center. Again, another front and center issue with the American Bar Association. Very important topic to President Bob Carlson, but I understand it's important to you as well. And so yeah. where, where are we with the ABA going forward with this? We need to keep pushing forward in what Bob focused on and, and those before him. And it is critically important that we not give up on our efforts that are significantly underway to draw attention to this issue, to educate people, and to make sure that they understand that it is not a weakness to ask for help. 
and to get the help they need as early as possible. One of the things that Bob and I have been doing this year um, is going into law schools across the country at each and every chance that we have the opportunity. We sit down with faculty members to make sure that they have an awareness of this issue. We sit down with students. Sometimes we go into a classroom. Sometimes we sit down with the student leaders of the student organizations at the law schools. And what we know is that they want more information. They want help. And they know already that the American Bar Association is there for them. And one of the other critical components that we've seen really being implemented is that state and local and affinity bars across the country are stepping up and doing their share as well because that's a ready resource for people who are in a community where they want to get help locally and they want to get it fast and so many state bar associations are doing such great work as well as local and specialty bars to give access to the services that are needed to give information about how lawyers can be stronger and better so that they can serve the public that we've taken an oath to serve. I understand there might be some reports and some some studies that may go underway uh, as, as time goes on. And is it too early to ask what type of factors and questions and things that you're going to be looking for in these uh, these upcoming studies? Well, you know, it, it, they're, they're underway, but what's critically important is that we keep attuned to the needs of the entire spectrum of attorneys across the country. We often focus on substance abuse and alcohol abuse, but the criticality of addressing issues on suicide, on depression, and on a whole spectrum of issues of what's needed with regard to those psychiatric issues and of mental health issues is critically important. And we have to make sure that we are equipping individual lawyers, but also law firms who are sometimes the first line of assistance for lawyers in need. And we have to make sure that the culture of law firms and of law departments is not that they want to brush this under the rug, but that they want to give the person the help they need and not stigmatize in doing so. So my second to last substance question, we're going to change gears and so a relatively more lighthearted subject, rule of law. Well, that's a in essence of what the ABA is all about in promoting and advancing the rule of law. You know, it's one of our four, and we only have four goals, and that's one of our four critical and essential goals. And what we know is that as lawyers, we have the special obligation to advance the rule of law. We have to speak up each and every opportunity we have, not only when we see attacks on the judiciary and the independence of the judiciary, but we have to educate the public about the importance of an independent judiciary, about the importance of the separation of powers, about the importance of the very critical notion and promise of our country that no person is above the law. And so what you will be hearing, as you have heard in the past year and more, um, is that we are taking each and every opportunity to talk about the rule of law, talk about it in a way that the public understands. This fall, um, we will be launching a social media campaign on um, the rule of law, helping the general public understand more about it, talking about civics and the foundation of civics, which is really civility and respect, in order that questions can be asked by the public in a way that is meaningful to each other of people of different opinions and they can have the dialogue that's necessary so that people understand the importance of their rights and obligations when they live in this country and they make sure that they exercise and become a part of what we know is the foundational um, democracy of our country. Can I make a humble request Yes, as part of that program, Rule of Law? Uh, and I frequently talk about this on the air, but uh, one of the things that does concern me, when I was in law school, I had friends that I would politically disagree with, and we would have these tremendous debates, you know, and some of them would get pretty fiery, but at the end of the day, we were still able to be civil and friendly with one another. 
And uh, it breaks my heart, but I'm not seeing that same level of civility between people that disagree. And I've watched friends drift apart, family members drift apart because they politically don't agree. And it's a silly thing to lose a friendship over or impact a family relationship over. So I was wondering, this is like my, my humble request, is there room in the ABA timeline to maybe teach constructive debate, uh, teach people how to not take differences of opinion personally and welcome them on the stage to exchange ideas. And so I don't know, I'm just humbly putting it out there. I think it would be really good for the country to be able to find better ways to disagree. You know, we lawyers do that each and every day. We're trained to do that. And we sometimes forget that we actually are trained in order to engage in debates and dialogues that move an issue forward even when we have people of different opinions. And so what we have to do is lead by way of example, making sure that we are a part of those dialogues in the public. There's no greater role that a lawyer can play um, than being the lawyer state's person in their own communities. And sometimes when we engage in our local communities, whether it's at a town hall meeting, a public library, in a local rotary club or otherwise, what we do is set the stage, we set the example for others to follow. And I think that's a very simple way of getting across what you think is critically important in order to have conversations about the rule of law, about any subject that we differ upon, is to make sure that we're given examples of how lawyers do it, how we come to solutions, and how we bring people of opposite positions together. Think about our court system in the United States today. Almost each and every time someone walks into a courtroom in the United States, no matter at what level, federal or state or municipal, there are people two people standing before the court with opposing views. And yet, at the end of the time in that courtroom, or at some time when the case is concluded, one person walks away with a success or a win, and the other one doesn't. And yet, it is done in a way, the process is undertaken in a way that's respectful, that's civil, and in a way that the people are able to voice their opinions without the yelling, the screaming, and anything else that goes on in those situations that you described earlier. All right, so my last substance question, I understand that there is some work going on with the 19th Amendment. There sure is, and we have this extraordinary moment to celebrate this year, and that is the centennial of the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. And particularly, the Constitution, of course, affords that no person will be denied the right to vote by a state or by the federal government um, because of their sex. The work that was done by suffragists across the country in order to make that happen, to make sure that our country experienced the largest expansion of democracy in its history by bringing women to the ballot box is one that we cannot let pass without celebration, but most importantly, without learning and without taking the opportunity to educate people about what that right means. And not only that it is a right that was garnered 100 years ago, but that in this country today, we're still struggling to make sure that each and every person who has the right to vote is able to exercise it. Um, and that means at all levels, whether they're voting for a state, uh, a local school board, or they're voting a state election or a federal election. So we are going to take this year and take up this wonderful opportunity to educate not only lawyers in our profession, but most importantly, the public, about what that right means, how we can't take it for granted, and how much more we have to do in order to assure that those rights and other rights of women are ones that bring forth the benefit that they would bring forth if fully executed and fully available to our country. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of the road for our episode here today, but I want to thank our guest, President-elect Judy Perry Martinez, for joining us. Thank you so much. Oh, it was delightful. Thank you, Lawrence. 
And if our listeners, they want to follow up, they want to learn more about your presidency, want to get involved, want to volunteer, how can they find you? They can find me on Twitter um, and follow me on Twitter at ABA underscore president elect. Um, they can also write me at ABA elect at ambor.org. Thank you. Also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or best yet, your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, I'm Lawrence Coletti. Thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.